to learn more about him, to praise you and to worship you. Uh, be with Ben as he brings your word to us this morning, Lord. Uh, open our hearts and our minds to learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tanner. Man, the pressure to get changed when Tanner's playing is locked. It goes quick. <laughs> I did it. I did it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we'll be. We're going to start in verse 1 and work our way all the way through verse 20. Uh, sorry, through verse 19. Uh, we've been consistently and steadily working our way through 1 Corinthians for a good while. And then we've got to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and, and 14. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we've kind of slowed down as we're getting through these chapters because these are three important chapters within uh, the Bible. These are three chapters that are, are hotly debated, that are argued, that are applied different ways. And depending on how you take them depends on, uh, leads to a lot of different things in your life. And so I wanted to go slow through these chapters. I wanted us to sit and to to be under them for a good while. Um, at the end of chapter 14, once we get there in, in a week or two, um, we will do a just pause. It'll be sort of a pause on 1 Corinthians, but not really, and we'll just talk about the spiritual gifts as a whole within the context of Scripture because it is so hotly debated, and there are so many churches that take it so many different ways. And so we'll, we'll do that at the end of chapter 14 once we get through this section. Um, pause, do a week there where we'll walk through everything and, and go about that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. Let's read them. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with the revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even, even lifeless instruments that produce sound, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction of the notes, how will what is played on the flute or the harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will not, uh, you'll be speaking into the air, and there are doubtless many other kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? 
where you very, may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five words in my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you that this is the passage we are at today. I pray, Father, as we celebrate the baptism of, of Lily and joining the church and, and plugging in and, and responding to your call to salvation, that as we look at this passage and as we look at this scripture, we would understand what you're telling us and we would understand what you're not telling us. God, that the goal of spiritual gifts is not to edify ourselves or to make ourselves look good. The goal of spiritual gifts is not to have the cool gifts and the popular gifts and to force those things. Rather, God, the goal of spiritual gifts is to build up your church, to help others grow. Or as you say in 1 Corinthians 13, to love. I pray as we walk through this passage, God, you would soften our hearts to your word. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Give us conviction where we need conviction. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 um, comes on the heels of 1 Corinthians 13. And 1 Corinthians 13 comes on the heels of 1 Corinthians 12. Everybody tracking with me so far? We're just doing math, but backwards. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 31... Uh, I didn't address it when we were walking through 1 Corinthians 12 because I knew we were coming to this passage of Scripture which really interprets it. So I want to read that to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Now remember, in our English Bibles that we have, those titles on top of our passages, mine are in all caps, but those are not in the original languages. That's not Scripture. That's just our our Bible translators helping us to categorize these these, uh, verses. The chapter numbers are not in the original scriptures. The verse numbers are not in the original scriptures. They're helpful for us, right? I can say, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you can open your Bible and get there quickly. There's a huge benefit to having that. But the drawback is, in our minds, what we do is we will disconnect chapter 12 from chapter 13. And we will disconnect chapter 13 from chapter 14. That's not the way the scripture is supposed to be read. Sometimes it's helpful for us to just wage our way in there, especially if it's a hard text like verse 31. So, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you see what Paul is saying now? He's saying the better way is to understand that love is superior to the spiritual gifts, that it is foundational, right? The wedding passage that we walk through, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it is not boastful. All of the love is sections are Paul talking about the local church in the context of them desiring these greater spiritual gifts. And Paul is saying that's not the point. The point is to love. The point is to care. The point is to seek the good of other people beyond yourself, to be selfless. That's the better way. But the first half of that verse, Paul says, but desire the greater gifts, and he is answering that question in uh, chapter 14. So Paul says, pursue love, right? That makes sense coming on the heels of 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. 
For a person who is speaking in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in another tongue, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. No conflict with these verses in church history. Everybody's understood them the exact same way. Nobody's fought about it. There's been no churches form new denominations over these texts or people leave churches. Very peaceful, very serene text of scripture. No, these verses have been argued about for a a long time, but maybe not as long as you think. So let's walk through uh, some of what these are. Again, at the end of of chapter 14, I'll do a sermon where we walk through the spiritual gifts and just kind of give the big overarching picture, because 1 Corinthians doesn't address everything when it comes to spiritual gifts. But there's two that Paul mentions here that are important for us to understand if we're going to understand the point of this text. It's prophecy and it's tongues. So what is prophecy? If you look at the Old Testament prophets, what you see is the prophets do not necessarily sit there and unpack Old Testament scriptures. They're not expositorily preaching. They're not opening the text, walking through it, and helping people understand it. What prophecy is in the Old Testament is God is giving a word to a prophet, and it's that prophet's job to be the mouthpiece for God to the people that it's intended to be for. So we see a lot of prophets with the nation of Israel. Right, all of those hard names that come at the back end of the Old Testament. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, blah, 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 all of those ones are the prophets. We also see there's some prophets in the Old Testament that are not necessarily for the Israelites. You know the story of Jonah. God gives a word to Jonah, says, go prophesy to those people, go tell those people about God. And what does Jonah do? He goes fishing and he uses himself as the bait. We see these prophets doing these things, but it's important for us to understand that prophecy is not preaching. There is a difference. Right? I'm coming up here and I am preaching, and I am not claiming to have a word that God has given to me personally that is not from the Scripture and that I'm going to relay to you. I am claiming to you that I study the Bible, that I open up the Scriptures, that I read it hard, that I read it consistently, that I try to read it diligently, and that I am proclaiming this message from the Bible to you. That's the difference in prophecy and revelation. Right, And then preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching is centered on the scripture of God. This revelation that God has given to us where prophecy would be a revelation that God has given to that prophet for that time and for those people. So the prophet can say, thus says the Lord, and then give a message. And typically they're spontaneous, and typically they have to do with individuals who are taking place in those things, especially in the book of Acts. So just as a warning, I think it's very dangerous when we as Christians say, I have a word from God for you, and then we say something that is not in the Bible. I believe that prophecy has ceased, that God is not using prophecy anymore, and there's a lot of reasons why we'll get into it at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. But one of the main reasons is God has given us his revelation in his word that this is sufficient, that this is enough, that this is inerrant, and that this is infallible. This is God's word for us. 
We take the Word of God, we take the Bible, the 66 canonical books of Scripture, and we read those, and we memorize those, and we use. Now, God can give you inclinations, and God can move you and push you, certainly in those ways, but it's dangerous for us to say, this is a word from God. If you have someone who claims to be a prophet, and they false prophesy, the Bible has a very certain word, a specific word for them. They are called false prophets. So much of the New Testament is trying to sort out those who are false prophets from new, new uh true prophets so to say you have a word from God to prophesy and then to have any part of that prophecy go wrong would make you a false prophet right, so that's the gift that Paul's talking about here with, with prophecy the other gift Paul talks about is tongues the first time we see tongues in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. It's when uh, Jesus has, has died, he has risen from the grave, and now he has ascended up into heaven, and he tells the disciples, go to Jerusalem, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to meet you there, the Comforter's going to meet you there, that's when you'll be filled. And so the apostles obey, they, they follow after Jesus, they get to Jerusalem, and then we see these tongues of fire coming down on these people in Acts chapter 2. And it's very clear in Acts chapter 2 that what they speak are languages, known human languages that they had not studied. Right? It's just the Lord gifted them with the ability to speak in those languages because they have all of these people in Jerusalem for Passover from all of their different countries. And all of a sudden they start speaking and they're understanding what everybody's saying in their own language. And my favorite part of the story of Acts is not only is it their own language, but they're understanding their own dialect. So if you and I were there, there'd be some twang in the English that's being spoken from those people. And so what we see is, is all of that, Pentecost is an undoing of what takes place at the pa- Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where you have this group of people, and they're trying to build their way up to God. And God l- comes down to see their little tower that they're so proud of. They're like, look at this thing. It's massive, and it's huge. We're going to get up to heaven. Our works are going to get us there. We'll be able to enter heaven and leave as we please. And God has to come down to look at their little tower and go, oh, how cute is that? And so what God does is he thwarts their plans by giving them different languages. And now all of a sudden the cement layers can't understand what the framers are saying. And the, the plumbers don't understand what the electricians are saying. And, and the Tower of Babel is not going to have electricity or plumbing, so they just give up. I'm just kidding. I don't, everybody, it thwarts their plans with these tongues. And then what we see for the rest of history is you have all of these nations that fight against all of these nations, and largely it's just a communication issue. You speak a different language than we speak, and because we don't understand you, we assume things about you, and now we begin fighting. So we see in Acts chapter 2 that it's not ecstatic utterances that take place when we're talking about tongues. It's, it's known human languages that are taking place, and there is no indication in Scripture that the idea of tongues changes from Acts chapter 2 into the rest of the text of Scripture that talks about it. And the last part that really talks about tongues is 1 Corinthians, and it's a early on book in the life of Paul. And so it's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 14 especially, is ripe for people who believe this gift is continued, and it's probably their best argument for these things, although I don't think it's a good and a, a solid argument for them to say that the gift of tongues continues. We can certainly say that it's not ecstatic utterances, right? The word for tongues here means human languages. It does not mean ecstatic utterances. It's glossolalia. It's translated languages in other places. And the difference of the commands of 1 Corinthians 14 and the commands that are taking place in Acts can be explained by the context of both of those churches, not by the changing of the tongues. 
And what Paul is getting at here is Paul is arguing, he's saying, pursue the greater gifts, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 31. And he's laying out, and the greater gift that you should pursue is not tongues because that's what the Corinthians loved. That was the gift that they favored. That was the gift that they all wanted to have because how cool is it to just roam up speaking a different language than everybody else? Like they thought it was, it was great and it was wonderful. And so what we see Paul doing consistently in 1 Corinthians is lowering the expectation for the gift of tongues. It's not as great as you think it is. It's last on all of the list of spiritual gifts that Paul gives. And then even here, Paul is saying prophecy is greater than tongues. And the reason prophecy is greater than tongues, according to Paul, is because you don't need an interpreter to understand prophecy. You don't have to have somebody translate for you, right? If you're speaking in tongues and your audience doesn't understand what you're saying, then the tongues don't really matter. I can get up here and I can speak. I can't, I can't speak any other languages. I can mumble with the best of us. I have family roots in Colorado and Missouri, and I can blur some stuff together there. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, if I can speak German and I start speaking German up here and you don't understand what I'm saying, there is no edification for you being here. You're not hearing anything that's coming from the scripture you're just hearing babble just nonsense that's what paul's getting at again this is coming on the heels of first corinthians 13 which is a text about love and that text certainly should be applied to our marriages a covenant relationship that you enter into and you covenant to care for the other person more than you care about yourself but paul is applying that covenantal marriage love language to the church that you enter into a covenant with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're covenanting to love them more than you love yourself and to edify them and to help them grow. What good is the gift of tongues if nobody can interpret it? Love is sacrificial. Love is selfless. It does not envy. It is not boastful. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth. That's the love Paul is getting at here. So when he's saying desire the better spiritual gifts, desire the greater spiritual gifts, what Paul is saying is he's desire the gifts that are going to build up your local body, your church. And that's what he says at the very end in, in verse 5. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesy. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless... He interprets so that the church may be built up. Look at verse 6. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on a flute or a harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Ira doesn't have a band. I don't know if you know this. The school. We play... My joke is when we play the fight song, it's like the lady at the church with the, like, the keyboard piano, boom, 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 boom. When I was in school, we had a band. 
and the first instrument they teach you to play in the band is called a recorder. And it is the most annoying instrument in the entire face of the universe. I'll put it up against an accordion. I'll put it up against a bagpipe and tell you it's more annoying. And they teach you the recorder because it's an easy instrument to learn the notes and to learn what they mean and to get the finger in. All of it has to come from that. But what happens when you first get a recorder is you have no idea what you're doing, but you think you do. Every year. And so you'd have those. It was in sixth grade in Panhandles when you learned the recorder. And so you get the recorder, and the first thing you do is you don't sit down and study. You just start blowing in that thing and moving your fingers all over the place. And it is unintelligible, headache-inducing, just nonsensical things. It makes no sense. By the Christmas concert, they'll play Jingle Bells, and it's not a good version. (laughs) That's the illustration Paul is getting at. He's saying if there is a flute or if there is a harp, these lifeless instruments that have to have somebody play them, right? You can have a harp, and it does no good if somebody doesn't know how to play it. Or you can have a, a flute, and if no, somebody doesn't know how to play it, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine taking one of like the great symphonies of the world by Bach or Beethoven or, or Mozart, and then you take all of it and play all of the notes that are involved in that symphony at one moment? Just it would be this clanging of noise, and it would sound terrible. It would be unintelligible, and you would go, not you would, nobody would go, oh, that's uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. I love his work. He's so great. You go, that's noise and annoying. That's what Paul's saying when it comes to the gifts. He's saying if a bugle is an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? Can you imagine the bugle boy? What does that mean? Again, Ira doesn't have a tornado siren, but could you imagine if there was a tornado siren and the tornado siren goes off and it's just... I mean, there's tornadoes. I mean, there's not a tornado. What does this mean? It's not telling us anything of help, anything of substance. It's just nonsensical noises that are going through it that don't help us to do anything. That's what Paul is saying about tongues. He's saying if there's no intelligible speech, if you can't be edified, if you don't understand what's being said, then it's pointless and purposeless. We do a grave disservice to Christianity, and it's in our part of the world, and we have to fix this. You and I have to be the solution to this, where we decide that Christianity is more about feelings, it's more about emotions, it's more about experiences than it is about just digging down and reading and learning about God through his word. It's not hard, it's not complicated, it's just difficult to consistently do, and it's not always the most fun thing. It's a lot more fun to join other people with this emotional experiences that can take place if we go to different places and do different things. But what God is repeatedly telling us in Scripture is to look to Him. Grow in your knowledge. I had a professor in college who would say this, just because the tomb was empty doesn't mean your head is. Learn is what the Bible tells us. This is different than the Eastern religions. If you look at like Hinduism or Buddhism or, or any kind of like the hippie stuff that takes place, a lot of that is not about filling your mind with the knowledge of God. A lot of those religions are about empty your mind. Don't think of anything. Just kind of clear. Have this peace. Have this nirvana. Have this whatever it is that you're trying to achieve or trying to attain. Get rid of all of the things within you. But that's not the text of the Bible. That's not the scriptures. The scriptures say, Grow in knowledge of God. 
grow in understanding of who God is. God has given us his word. He's given us his revelation, not for us to set on our bookshelves and not read or to use just on Sunday mornings, but for our lives to be built upon. This is the very word of God. The same word that in Genesis 1, God breathes out and creates all of creation. God has used human authors to pen this divine word for you and for I, for today and for Ira. It's not irrelevant for us. It's not dated. It doesn't need to be updated. It is the word of God that we can dig into. And all of our English translations, with the exceptions of a few, like the Jehovah's Witness one, are good, solid English translations that we can be confident in. So open up the Bible and read. Paul says, in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Do you see why it's not ecstatic utterances? There's these meaning to these words that come with tongues if we're talking about the biblical idea of tongues. It's these foreign languages. Paul says, therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. The love. Genesis 11 is, is the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the sin that takes place at the Tower of Babel? What is said in the text of Scripture? I preached through Genesis. You should all have this memorized by now. They wanted to make their name great. That's the phrase that is used for the Tower of Babel, and that's the sin that comes there. It's pride. They want to make their name great. They want to be something. They want to be somebody, so they build a giant monument to make a statue of this, to reach God. Do you know what happens in Genesis 12? You have this this, uh, 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 list of all of these people who kind of go, and then we get to Genesis 12, and Genesis 12 is an important passage of Scripture. It's the call of Abram. Abram is a pagan moon worshiper who lives in the land of Ur. What a terrible name for a town. Ur. And God calls Abraham and saves Abraham, not because of anything that Abraham did, but because God was going to use Abraham mightily. Do you know what God tells Abraham when he calls him? Tower Babel, the sin is... They want to make their name great. And in Genesis 12, God looks at Abraham and he says, I will make your name great. It's God raising up this man who's going to have all of these. He's an old man. His wife's well beyond childbearing years. He he does not live a perfect life. He does lots of sinful things. But the rest of Genesis, from Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis 50, is tracing Abraham's family. And we end with Joseph, Abraham's great-great-grandson. And what we see with Joseph is Joseph is in slavery. He's not in slavery. He's in Egypt. And then Exodus starts out with the word and. And we pick up in Exodus and we see that Abraham's family has grown a ton. And then now Pharaoh is threatened by them. So now they're enslaved. And then we see them released from slavery. And they they go out and there's miraculous things that take place. That God takes his people out of slavery. There's this great rescue, this divine salvation. They walk through the waters of the Red Sea into the promised land. And then they expand some more. And then we see in Galatians 2, God's saying, if you believe, if you trust, if you have faith in God, you become a child of Abraham. That we're some of the stars that that God promised him. That we're some of the grains of sand. All of that is so important because it started with changing of languages. 
And when we get to Genesis 14 and we're talking about tongues, tongues can't all of a sudden mean now let's be prideful just like the Babylonians were. Now let's try to build ourselves away to God. Now we don't need God. Now we can use our own works and build up our own monuments. We can make our name great. If we'll speak in tongues and we'll do all of these miraculous things, then our name can be great. That's not anything close to what the text of Scripture says, yet that's far too often how these passages are interpreted. It's not about us becoming great and making something of ourselves. It's about us stepping back and glorifying God with the gifts that God has sovereignly given us. Verse 13. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, you will be an outsider. Say amen, uh, but how will the outsider say amen at the giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you are saying. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. In the the Old Testament, uh, when the nation of Israel gets the, the prophecies that they're going to be exiled, One of the punishments, one of the ways that God talks about the exile is people who speak in foreign tongues are going to come and take over your nation. And now, not just Hebrew is going to be spoken in the nation of Israel. But you're going to have these other languages that come. It's it's not seen as a good thing. It's seen as a bad thing. It's seen as you disobeyed, and now all of this other stuff is going to be coming into the nation of Israel. And we hear just a little bit of that taking place here, that it's causing confusion, it's causing chaos, it's causing issues. The, the next section of scripture that we'll cover is about order in church services. That it's not just like people running around being crazy and everybody yelling and speaking and doing all of this stuff all at once. That's never what a church is supposed to be. That God is not a God of chaos. That God is a God of order. And we see that through all of creation. That's what Paul's saying. If you're speaking in tongues, it has to be interpreted. Because if it's not interpreted, there is no understanding, and it is pointless. Right? He says, uh, pray that he can interpret it. If I pray in another tongue, uh, sorry, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I will pray with the Spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding, right? So we're not just saying random words. Bryn does this every now and then. We just say random words, just nonsensical things that come to mind, just these ecstatic utterances that go. That's never what the text of Scripture is telling us to do. It's supposed to be understandable. It's supposed to be edifying. Even if it's you alone in a room with the Lord, you should understand what you're praying. And we can look at how Jesus taught to pray, right? Jesus says, pray like this, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer, and he gives us an example of hypocrites who stand at the street corners and pray and say all of these things things to make themselves look good and to look big while the person who's in the corner praying quietly to God, God help a sinner like me is the one who's exalted. It's not ever supposed to be just things you don't understand in jibber jabber. It's supposed to be understanding. Our prayer should be reflections of our heart. Our prayer should be us looking to God and saying, God, I am needy and I need you and you're God and I'm not. Help me to live out what you've called me to do. 
There's understanding that takes place there. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. I'm picky. I don't know if you know this. I'm picky about the songs we sing. There are certain groups and certain things that we will not sing here. They may sing songs that are right theologically, but the theology they have behind themselves and in the churches that draws people to them is wrong. It's caused lots of chaos and lots of dissension. The main goal when we sing songs, believe it or not, is not to sing contemporary songs. It's not to sing hymns. It's to sing songs that glorify God. So the way that we typically pick songs is I have the passage I'm preaching. We have the main theme of that passage. And then the songs copy that main theme. Right? Well, last week, Vince sang uh, the love of God is greater far than tongue and pen. He sang that song because the theme was love. That we don't just go through the motions with songs. That we don't just mindlessly, we know the songs so we can just kind of zone out. That's not what singing is supposed to be. I will argue with you, most of the theology you know probably comes from songs that you sing rather than just being able to memorize and read scriptures. I know Bible verses that I memorized as a child in VBS because they put it to a song. We don't sing just things and let it go in one ear and out the other. We sing with the understanding that this is teaching us theology, that this is teaching our kids theology. Canon can sing hymns, and he he talks a lot, but it's a lot of nonsense. But if he can memorize stuff, then certainly the Lord has wired us in such a way that singing should not just be random, nonsensical things, that we should be cautious of what we sing. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen? Do you know what amen means? I agree. Truly. Certainly. It's an affirmation. Yes. If the outsider doesn't understand what you're saying, they can't agree. Paul says you could be giving thanks. You could preach the best sermon you've ever preached, but if it's in a language that nobody understands, it doesn't matter. Nobody can say amen. Nobody can agree with it. Nobody is being built up. That's the purpose of the gifts. The gifts are not for you to build yourself up. They're for you to use in the local body to grow the local body of Jesus Christ, the church, so that the church as a whole, we don't have to do this alone. These callings are impossible for us to do alone. We do them together as a body of believers as best as we possibly can. We build up the body of Christ. And I love what Paul says. Paul is sarcastic sometimes. Paul says in the scriptures, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you, which means Paul prayed, God, thank you that I speak in tongues more than the Corinthians because they don't get it. Yet Paul says, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in another tongue. Jesus Christ crucified for you. Jesus in my place. That's four. Those are foundational, structural things that we can understand. Paul's not saying preach five-word sermons. What Paul is saying is he's using hyperbole. That there's more understanding, that there's more growth, that there's more edification in the local church with five words that are understood than if I was to take the Bible and read all of it in a language that you and I wouldn't understand. That we'll grow more from the five words of understanding than we would from the 10,000 words that we wouldn't. That's what Paul's getting at when he's getting at these gifts. 
So what does this mean to us? Right? If we believe prophecy has ceased, if we believe that speaking in tongues like that has ceased, except for like maybe in the, the mission field where people don't have the Bible written in their own language, that maybe God and his, his sovereignty would use those things there. But if those things have ceased here, what does that mean for us, that this text of Scripture comes to us and that so much of it is about prophecy and so much of it is about tongues? It means several things. Paul starts off by saying, desire spiritual gifts. That's still true. Which gifts do we desire? We desire the gifts that help us build up the body of Christ. We desire the gifts that are going to help you disciple other people. Nobody has all of the gifts, and nobody has none of the gifts. Everybody, if you're a believer, has some gift, and nobody has all of it. That's why we have to do this together. I promise you, I do not have the gift of administration. I struggle with organizing people. Just kind of, I don't know, works out. Desire the greater gifts. Desire the gifts that are going to help build up the body of Christ, the church. God in his sovereignty has placed you here, especially if you are a member of this church, not so that you can just go home and not plug in, but so you can plug in and help to grow the church. You will not find a passage of scripture that says, get saved and then do nothing. You will find scripture that says, be saved by the Lord, trust in Christ completely, and then go disciple other people and share the gospel with others too. I could tell you in our church we have a desperate need for teachers of children. God has blessed us. Sometimes it feels like a curse. I, you know like the loaves and the fishes miracle that takes place? Jesus like has a little piece of bread and then just like multiply. If you come on a Wednesday, you look around and you're like, there's like five kids. And all of a sudden you look down, you look back up, and they just multiply. There's a huge need that God has given us. He's presented us with unbelievers, children coming to our church. Of all of the places in the world they could go to, our church to hear the gospel, to have fellowship, to be discipled if they're believers. And what we're struggling with is just a lack of teachers. Maybe the Lord is calling you and saying, you're gifted to teach. Use it. Do it. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm a teacher or not. There's one surefire way to find out. Try it. And if you're absolutely miserable, we won't, I won't leave you there for too long. <laughs> but that's the only way to find out. We can do the test. You can take the test on the paper, but those don't ever really tell you the truth. Right? There's not this comprehensive list. We, we've talked about this before. Paul lists spiritual gifts out multiple times in the scriptures, and every time he lists them, they're different. He's listed them twice in 1 Corinthians, and it's not the same list both times. That There's this difference, this variance with spiritual gifts. And some people have, it's never just really one. It always comes in phases and nuances. Right? So you may be not super gifted in teaching, but you're comparable. Praise the Lord for that. That could be what it is, and it may be paired with something else, but that's something we need. I firmly believe, uh, I, I've been here five years, and one of the things I believe with the local church is after you've been there for a certain amount of time, the Lord will begin raising up people who are called to pastor, who are called to preach. I firmly believe that God has called some men in our church to preach and to be pastors. I just am waiting for you to hear that too. Maybe it's not that. I promise you one of the needs of our church is administration. 
because I struggle with it. Just simply doing the little things to organize the stuff so that when we gather together, we can implement them. And we still don't have a good check-in and check-out procedure. You were supposed to have attendance sheets this morning that said January. Do you know why you didn't? Because I forgot to print them. <laughs> so even if the unbeliever doesn't understand. <laughs> I don't know what gift the Lord has given you. I know some because I'm your pastor and we have a relationship with each other. But I know this, he has given you gifts, or at least a gift. And nobody has all of them, but nobody has nothing. And what God has called you and me to do is to implement those gifts, not on our own, but together as a body of Christ. One body with many parts, and all of the parts do various different things, but we're not all eyeballs, praise the Lord. We're not all ears, right, Keith? I got hearing aids, so I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. <laughs> we're not all hearts. We're not all lungs. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're different, but within that difference, there's a unity when we're centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can desire. It's not a bad thing to desire spiritual gifts. It's a bad thing to desire spiritual gifts to build yourself up, but it's not a bad thing to desire spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So what is the Lord calling you to? What has the Lord gifted you with? How can you implement that and serve in the local church so that we can disciple our community, that we can make disciples by sharing the gospel and equip disciples to make more disciples as we continue to try to do ministry here in Ira? And all of that is hinged upon a love that we have for each other. And that love that we have for each other is hinged upon a love that Christ first has for us. None of this is possible within our own power. None of this is possible if you and I just try to white-knuckle, grip onto these things, and hold tight as long as we can. It doesn't work that way. The love that you and I have is a direct reflection of the love that Christ has given us. He first loved us while we were still sinners. The gospel is foundational to absolutely everything that we do. We can figure out how to work with one another. We can have all of the gifts together. But if we shift off of the gospel of Jesus Christ, off of the good news that Jesus lived the life I should have lived and that he died the death that I deserved, if we shift off of that, we can organize a church the right way. We can do all of that stuff without the gospel. If we do that, we're not a church. We're failing. Everything that we do has to be centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I pray that if you're a believer here, if you've trusted in, in Jesus Christ, that you're a Christian, that you would feel the love that God has for you, and in turn, you would show that love to one another within the church, and that God would show you clearly where your gifting is at so that you can plug in and help the church. And that if you're not a Christian, that you would see your sin. She would see it as what it is, a cosmic rebellion against a God who infinitely loves you. And that what's best for you and best for your life is to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Not to try to build these towers up to God. Not to try to do all of the things that you think you should do without trust in Jesus Christ. You can try those things if you want, but it always ends in disaster. It always ends with emptiness and failure. Only Christ can fill you. Only the gospel is enough. Trust in Jesus. 
live life for the church, and then we'll die, and a hundred years will be forgotten for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for today.